Welcome back to the Whip Around. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant. And even with the end of the WNBA season, there is so much women's basketball goodness to be talking about. So let's get right into it. First things first, the FIBA World Cup begins on Thursday in Australia, technically Wednesday by American Standard Time. And Team USA just announced its roster. We've got Ariel Atkins, Shakira Austin, Kalia Copper, Chelsea Gray, Sabrina Ionescu, Bree Jones, Benajah Laney, Jewel Lloyd, Kelsey Plum, Brianna Stewart, Alyssa Thomas, and Asia Wilson. That roster includes four players from the last World Cup team in 2018, which, of course, the USA won. Um, those four would be Stewie, Asia, Plum, and Lloyd. Stewie was a starter on that team. That was the year that she won her lone WNBA MVP award in 2018, and closed off the season as finals MVP for the Seattle Storm. Those other three, though, Asia, Kelsey Plum, and Jewel Lloyd, were all coming off the bench, but getting double-digit minutes every game. Uh, Fast forward to the 2021 Olympics, and Stewie, Asia, Jewel Lloyd, all on that Olympic team, along with Ariel Atkins and Chelsea Gray. Uh, Kelsey Plum was also at the Olympics, but ended up playing for the three-on-three team. Uh, This time around, Stewie and Asia were both starters and key pieces for that Olympic team. Gray and Lloyd were key reserves, and Atkins, as the youngest Olympian, was more of a deep bench piece. So we have five returning Olympians, four returning players from the World Cup, and a few who are getting their first chance at big stage USA international basketball. So very cool moment for Alyssa Thomas, Bree Jones, Benajah Laney, Kali Copper in particular. It's Just an incredible honor to represent your country at the biggest stage, and I'm sure none of them take it lightly. If we're trying to project the 2022 rotation, first thing to keep in mind is that Game 1 against Belgium starts at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday evening. The Aces are having their championship parade on Tuesday evening at 5.30 p.m. Pacific, so just about 25 hours before the first game. It's a 16-hour flight from L.A. to Sydney, They've got to actually attend the parade, then get to Los Angeles. I'm assuming that'd be a pretty easy charter via Mark Davis. But then get from Los Angeles to Sydney. All in all, I think it's fair to say that they won't be suiting up those three aces, Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, and Kelsey Plum, for that opening group stage game against Belgium. I don't think it's really fun to project rotation for just one game, so let's think about the rotation for the medal rounds. I would argue that Asia, Stewie, and Chelsea Gray are locks to start. Asians, we obviously have that equity with USA Basketball. They've been starters in the past. Chelsea Gray is really the only point guard on this roster, depending on how you feel about Sabrina, but definitely the most accomplished point guard. I mean, we all watch the WNBA Finals. So those three locks. I would also think that Jewel Lloyd has enough USA equity to start, you know, third straight international competition for her. Uh, One of the best two guards in the game. She's at least been at camp a little bit longer than someone like Kelsey Plum. Um, definitely more accomplished than, you know, Sabrina. So I would think that Jewel Lloyd is that fourth spot. And then the fifth really can go any number of different ways. 
because Stua and eight Stewie and Asia can be your three and four, like in Tokyo, or they can be your four and five based on the positions they played during this WNBA season. They could be your three and five if you wanted. Uh, so that means that any forward or center of that roster is theoretically eligible for that last spot. You could put Kalia Copper, Banaja Laney, Alyssa Thomas, Shakira Austin, Bree Jones, even Ariel Atkins theoretically could play up position at small forward if you want more experience. I honestly have no idea what direction Cheryl Reeve is going to go. I think Alyssa Thomas is the best of the bunch, but as you heard Ryan Rucco and Rebecca Lobo say several times, Alyssa Thomas is a one-of-one player. That makes it fairly challenging to figure out how to play with her, and considering they have had no practice time with Alyssa Thomas, at least Alyssa and Brie were able to get to Australia a little bit before the Aces did, I don't think that there is enough time to figure out how those starters are going to work together. So keep AT off the bench with Bree Jones, ideally. And my best guess is Atkins joins the starting lineup, again, just because of that USA basketball equity. But I wouldn't be surprised by any of the choices. I was somewhat surprised that Diamond DeShields was left off the roster. Uh, she has a long history with USA basketball. I thought she looked excellent in that televised red-white scrimmage. Obviously, that isn't the end-all be-all of USA basketball camp. But she had a really nice finish to the season in Phoenix. I thought she looked great against Vegas in the playoffs, even if Phoenix was just overmatched from a talent perspective. To me, she would have been a really nice wing to slot into this roster, but USA ended up going with five bigs instead of an extra wing, which, again, totally fine. Makes me wonder if Brianna Stewart's going to be playing a little bit more small forward like she did at the Olympics, even though, naturally, I think she's a power forward. So... That was an interesting choice. Um, I was also surprised that Stephanie Dolson was left off of the roster. Again, USA basketball experience. She was on that 3x3 team in Tokyo. I thought she'd be ahead of Bree Jones just because of that and, you know, the fact that she'd been at camp a little bit longer. But let's be clear, Bree Jones has a much better WNBA season. She was an all-star this year. Steph was not. So logically, that makes sense. Just, again, surprised to see players who have been in the USA pool not make it out. And then Shakira Austin being the lone 2022 rookie when Nalissa Smith and Ryan Howard uh, were both at camp was kind of interesting. I am one of the two voters of the 56 who picked Shakira Austin as my 2022 WNBA Rookie of the Year. So her being ahead of Ryan Howard is something that I'm definitely on board with. But again, kind of surprising. But like I said, the decision to carry the extra big at the expense of the wing means you can have these players instead of the Ryan Howards and Diamond Shields of the world. Um, if they were going to take an extra big, I really thought it was going to be Aaliyah Boston. The USA basketball team just loves having a young collegian there to sort of soak up the culture for the next generation. Like Candace Parker played at the World Cup in 2006. And I thought Boston looked good in the scrimmage. Um, I think she kind of handled Shakira Austin in her minutes, to be perfectly honest. But I do believe that Austin is more scalable like she knows how to play next to stars of this caliber already she hasn't been the best player on her team in Washington for this whole season whereas Aaliyah Boston has never not been the best player on her team so in terms of filling a role I get why Shakira Austin's there I understand what she brings defensively but again just kind of surprised not to see Aaliyah there next news item that we need to hit is in Dallas, where the Wings decided not to pick up the third-year option for head coach Vicki Johnson, meaning that Vicki's out as head coach. 
and they will be in the market for a new head coach, just like the Indiana Fever and the Los Angeles Sparks during this 2022-23 offseason. Vicki Johnson, I mean, obviously, if you've listened to this podcast and you've consumed my other work covering the WNBA, you know that I, you know, I'm no stranger to picking on Vicki Johnson. Uh, I think Dallas's offense has left a lot to be desired over the last two years. No team in basketball history has ever won more horn sets than Vicki Johnson and the Dallas Wings over the last two years. Um, and they've kind of just been like a middling team, right? They were 14 and 18 last year, seventh seed in the playoffs, losing single elimination, not a particularly close game against the Chicago Sky. Then, you know, minor improvement to 18 and 18 this year, point differential is still pretty average sixth place they take it to three games against Connecticut but not really in it in that third game like that was an ugly ugly game three for Dallas and I guess you know the statement from president and CEO Greg Babe of the Dallas Wings suggested that he didn't really see the upside of a Vicki Johnson coach team and on the one hand I get that because again I just expressed the very average record that they've had over two years but that's two years and this is a team that is really trying to build something together. They have much more continuity than a lot of the teams in the WNBA. You're bringing back Arike and Alicia Gray and Veronica Burton and Kayla Thornton and ideally Tara McCowan, who is still a restricted free agent. But there's a lot to work with, and we saw Dallas play some of the very best basketball of this stretch at the end of the season. They had that week where they beat the Las Vegas Aces. They beat the Chicago Sky. Vicki Johnson is August coach of the month. Tara McCowan is August player of the month. And it seemed like they were on an upward trajectory. They end up taking that game from Connecticut at Mohegan Sun Arena. That's a big moment. The first playoff win for this franchise in over a decade. I would think you would allow this group to continue to build on that. But I guess Dallas thinks the window is a little bit narrower than I do. So you have to make this decision now and capitalize on the momentum of this team with a new coach. Because Yeah, you know, Kayla Thornton is under contract, and a lot of those players I also mentioned under contract. But Izzy Harrison is a free agent. Lord knows what's happening with that 2021 draft class. Charlie Collier, Awak Kawir, Chelsea Dungy's already out of the league. Dana Evans is on Chicago. That was a big miss for Dallas, even though they had four of the top 13 picks in that draft. Tara McCowan and Marina Mabry are restricted free agents. Who knows if you'll be able to fit their new contracts under the cap, especially with Arike's max kicking in this upcoming year. Bella Allery's coming back under protected contract in 2023, presumably. How do you play her and Tara McCowan together? I don't know. Do you just stagger them with Kayla Thornton the whole time? Then where does Izzy Harrison fit in? Where do Awak and Charlie Collier fit in? A lot of questions that I wouldn't care to answer, I'm sure. Greg Bibb doesn't really know the answers, and I think he's just putting it on his coach to figure it out, which, I don't know, doesn't exactly make me feel like this is the most stable situation for a new head coach to walk into. Let's just recap real quick what Greg Bibb has presided over in Dallas since he took over as president in 2017. In the 2018 season, uh, end of the year, in the middle of a playoff hunt, you know, alongside the Las Vegas Aces, Fred Williams screams at Greg Big, allegedly gets into a shouting match, you know, at the end of a loss to the Washington Mystics. He gets fired. Tajmik Williams Franklin steps in for the rest of the season. Uh, Liz Cambage then demands a trade. They ended up trading her to Las Vegas, which, I mean, I don't know if they got the best package out of that. 
next year, Skylar Diggins-Smith sits out the whole year on maternity leave. She expresses that she felt unsupported by the Dallas organization and demands a trade of her own and is out, you know, before the 2020 season. After Taj and Williams Franklin, they hire Brian Agler. Um, he only ends up staying two seasons, the second of which comes entirely after a lawsuit by Penny Toller alleges sexual misconduct and an inappropriate player relationship between Brian Agler and a member of the Los Angeles Sparks. Then we've got Vicki Johnson comes in. You know, she completely whiffs on the 2021 draft class. Dallas at least gets back to the playoffs in 2021 and theoretically takes a step up this year, but again, only two years before Greg Bibb and the Wings franchise are moving on to another head coach. So not exactly the uh, modicum of stability in the WNBA. And it's just hard to know what they're really looking for in Dallas. Like the Wings look better this year, as I mentioned, but a lot of internal dysfunction. You know, you have Izzy Harrison on Twitter saying like, please fans, let me know when you figure out why I'm not playing as many minutes going on TikTok and joking about how only the guards get plays called for them. I just don't know where Dallas goes from here. You know, they obviously tried to poach Latricia Trammell as an assistant head coach last year. That didn't work. She stayed in Los Angeles, but maybe she'd be willing to come over as a head coach. Uh, She went to high school in Oklahoma. She coached in Oklahoma and Texas. She does broadcast work during the WNBA offseason in Oklahoma State. She's very familiar with that area of the country. I'm sure that would be a nice return home for her. Uh, another, you know, coach currently on another staff would be Natalie Nicasse, who is the lead assistant on Becky Hammond's staff. She interviewed for head coaching jobs this past offseason, was one of the finalists in Phoenix, ultimately losing out to Vanessa Nygaard. That's another name maybe you look at. I just know that whoever the Wings have to hire, you have to be willing to give them more than two years to figure out what exactly they're made of. Because, yeah, Vicki Johnson doesn't have the most sterling record, but I do believe that she got better. And as long as you're on some sort of growth curve, I'd be inclined to see that play itself out. Dallas was not. And finally, it did not mean to bury the lead, but this is definitely going to take the longest to talk about. The WNBA Finals finished yesterday when the Aces won a dramatic Game 4 against Connecticut. It is their first title in franchise history, a franchise that has spanned from Utah to San Antonio, two names in San Antonio, and then to Vegas. They went on an 8-0 run to end the game after being down by one in the final two minutes. Raquana Williams had a personal 8-2 run against the Sun over the final two and a half minutes. This has to be particularly sweet for Raquana Williams. Um, I know everybody mentioned that Chelsea Gray was the lone member of the Las Vegas Aces to have won a title. She did so in 2016 with the Los Angeles Sparks. Raquana Williams was also supposed to be on that team. She signed with the Sparks in the offseason, then tears her ACL while playing overseas in Dubai and is not actually on the 2016 roster. She played the next four years in Los Angeles. They obviously never won another title, but I know that she felt like she was a part of that team. They felt like she was a part of that team, and now she gets an actual ring to add to her WNBA resume. Uh, Chelsea Gray, though, definitely looked like someone who's played in the WNBA Finals before. Uh, Her playoff run was just the stuff of myth, honestly. Uh, Just an insane heater against Phoenix, Seattle, and then culminating against Connecticut. I'm stealing these numbers from Mark Schindler of WME.com. In those 10 games, she averaged 21.7 points and 7 assists per game. She had a true shooting percentage of 72.7% on 14 field goal attempts per game. Keep in mind, the league average is about 54%. So she is a good 18% over the league average. 
She shot 54.4% from deep on about six attempts per game, 63% on twos from three to 10 feet, 63% on twos from 10 to 16 feet, and 69% on those long mid-range twos from 16 feet to the three-point arc. The shots that every coach tells you are bad shots because if you just take a couple steps back, they're three-pointers. Those shots are the ones that Chelsea Gray absolutely killed on, made a living on, the kind of things that as a defender, you have to be willing to give her something. They're the worst shots on the court. You give her that and she still makes them nearly 70% of the time. Just an insane run for the eventual finals MVP. I keep thinking back to the way she closed out game four against Seattle in that semifinal round. The way she played the third quarter in game four against Connecticut, she accounts for 21 of Vegas' 23 points in that third quarter via scoring or assists. I mean, that Las Vegas team looked rough offensively in the first half. Kelsey Plum's throwing the ball all over the place. Asia Wilson can't find her shot. Jackie Jackie Young isn't hitting anything. And then Chelsea Gray just takes the ball in her hands and gets going right after halftime. I mean, first play of the half, pistol action. She's on the corner. For some reason, Courtney Williams is in a drop isn't putting her hand up on Chelsea Gray. Chelsea Gray just hits a three, and it was it was just rolling from there. I mean, hard to think of a single player in basketball history that has had a more impressive postseason than what Chelsea Gray just did. And, I mean, I wouldn't have even been disappointed if they had given the finals MVP to Asia Wilson. <laughs> like, that's how good both of these players were. But the ability to set her team up offensively, just making the tough shots when it counts... I'm not of the belief that offense is more important than defense, but there was a certain swagger that Chelsea Gray brought to the proceedings in the WNBA playoffs. And for that, I think it's acceptable that she won the finals MVP. But seriously, like, let's not do anything to discount the work of Aisha Wilson. Um, even if she only had 11 points in that game for the defense, the blocks on Courtney Williams and John Quell Jones and all of the rebounds and keeping Vegas as even as possible on the glass with such a big team like Connecticut. I mean, MVP this year, defensive player of the year. She's going to be a leader on that World Cup team. She always finds a way to impact games, no matter if her shot was falling. She gets that steal at the end of the game against Connecticut when Dewana Bonner's inbounding basically seals the game for Las Vegas. She is the face of the WNBA. The WNBA is headed towards a very tricky battle with prioritization And Asia Wilson has made her allegiance to this league, to playing domestic basketball, very clear. And the WNBA needs to market the hell out of her, to sell the hell out of her, because she has chosen to play in the WNBA. She has made this the one and only league she wants to play in. This is the trophy that she wants to win. She's gotten one. She wants a dynasty. So she's going to be here at a time when, you know, players like Brianna Stewart are saying, I don't know when I'm going to be back in the WNBA. You need stars to sell who you know are going to be in the United States. And that's Asia Wilson. And it doesn't hurt that she is a generational talent who at 26 already has the two MVPs, Defensive Player of the Year, four all WNBA honors, you know, multiple defensive honors, the World Cup, the gold medal, maybe another World Cup to come, the NCAA championship at South Carolina when she was the most outstanding player. I'm sure I'm forgetting certain accolades. But that's just the breadth of what Asia Wilson has accomplished. She sets the tone for Vegas on both ends of the court. Turning her into a center was the best thing that the Vegas Aces could have done this year. That was a stroke of genius by Becky Hammond to make Wilson that defensive center because it unlocks so much versatility for them on both ends of the floor. Again, just a masterclass of a season for Asia. And 
don't let all of the talent surrounding her obscure the fact that she is the leader of the Aces. She is the best player on this team. She sets their floor, and because of her, their ceiling is immeasurably high. Another big moment for Becky Hammond, who, as she says, never gets picked for anything. But the Aces made her their top priority this season, and she proved exactly why she was worth it. You have to wonder where Connecticut goes from here. Talk about Vegas' ceiling, I wonder if Connecticut's ceiling is just naturally a little bit lower, because you watched as they had their big lineup in at the end of the game with Bree Jones, John Quill Jones, Alyssa Thomas, Dewana Bonner, versus Vegas's super small lineup with Raquana Williams, Jackie Young, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum surrounding Asia Wilson. And when Vegas scores, it's a three. When Connecticut scores, it's a two. And that math just doesn't always work in your favor. Hard not to watch Asia Wilson versus John Quill Jones, the last two MVPs of this league. The force that Asia Wilson plays with. Admittedly, John Quill is more of a finesse player, but you never felt her dominating the game in the same way that Asia did. And that's not to say that she can't, because I remember how wonderful she was in the 2019 WNBA Finals. But her role just keeps getting smaller and smaller on this particular team. Maybe it was a consequence of the fact that Jasmine Thomas wasn't there to deliver the ball to her this season the way she was in the last so many years for Connecticut. But WNBA champions win when they have a number one pick, a generational talent on their team. You know, Washington won without a number one pick in 2019, but I don't think anyone would argue that Elena Deladon is not worthy of that status of a number one pick. John Quill Jones, not quite the same level as those others, and I don't mean that to disparage John Quill at all. Just there was a gap between the way she impacted the game and when Asia Wilson exerted her dominance on a game. And I almost hope that Connecticut is in a position where they can't bring Bree Jones in for 25 minutes a game and they have to rely on John Quill Jones to be her best for 35 minutes because I do think she is capable of that. It's almost an abundance of options on the sun that prevents her from having to be that player all the time. I did miss Jasmine Thomas tremendously (laughs) during these WNBA finals. You know, listeners of the podcast know that I am a Duke alum. I attended school with Jasmine Thomas. I'm a big fan of her game, but I also don't need personal bias to know that Jasmine Thomas has done the best job of any player in basketball of guarding Chelsea Gray over the last three years. Chelsea Gray's playoff series against Connecticut in 2019, three-game sweep, she was terrible, absolutely terrible. And basically because of the single individual defense of Jasmine Thomas. 2020, Los Angeles once again plays Connecticut, this time in single elimination. Chelsea Gray ends up with four points and zero assists in what ends up being her last game as a spark. Who's guarding her? Jasmine Thomas. Connecticut swept Las Vegas during the regular season last year. Chelsea Gray, not so hot during those games. Again, who's guarding her? Jasmine Thomas. I do believe that literally no one on the planet is probably capable of guarding Chelsea Gray the way she played during these playoffs, but I would have liked to see the very best individual guard defender in basketball have a chance at it. And for all the other things that she brings to Connecticut, I think the Sun would have been much more prepared. It's just a shame that for the last three years, they have been without one of their best players. I hope we get to see this team whole at some point. I just don't know if it's possible because monetarily, they can't really keep Courtney Williams and Tisha Heideman and Bree Jones around if they all want their market value. Maybe Bree Jones takes a little bit of a haircut. Maybe Courtney Williams takes a little bit of a haircut. But those are tough decisions that are about to be made. And God, I just want one playoff series again with Jasmine Thomas, Dewana Bonner, John Quill Jones, and Alyssa Thomas 
I don't feel like that's too much to ask, but who knows? And finally, I've got some mailbag questions to answer as we finish off today's episode. Uh, First up, from J. Christian Gary. They ask, with the NBA set to announce expansion in Las Vegas and Seattle, how soon will it be before new cities enter the WNBA's fray? Now, first things first, I'm not exactly sure that that Las Vegas and Seattle rumor for the NBA is entirely accurate, but that's beside the point. Um, Kathy Engelbert has made it as clear as possible that she wants two teams to enter the WNBA by 2024, latest by 2025. Uh, She has mentioned several cities and locations on her list for potential destinations for a new WNBA team. The one that keeps coming to the top of the list, though, is the Bay Area, and that could come in the form of two different ownership groups. There's Alana Beard, a former WNBA champion, defensive player of the year, all-time great, who is leading a group of primarily black women to bring a team to Oakland. And then you also have Joe Lacob, the owner of the Golden State Warriors, who wants to bring a WNBA team to San Francisco, presumably to exist under the Warriors' ownership umbrella. And that kind of presents this key battle of ownership styles that exists in the WNBA. You have the owners who care tremendously about women's sports and are trying to do what's best, but just don't have the capital to play with the Mark Davises and Joe Size of the world. You know, I'm thinking of like the Force 10 ownership group in Seattle, who by all accounts runs a very great operation in Seattle, but they don't have the money to play with the big boys. And that kind of reminds me of what Alana Beard's team could represent. And then if you brought in Joe Lacob, well... He seems like the Mark Davis, <laughs> Joe Psy type, where he would want to spend all the money possible to gain whatever competitive advantage possible. And that's great. I think an influx of that kind of ownership into the WNBA would help push things forward. I do think Mark Davis and the Aces are going to push things forward based on how they invested in Las Vegas and their team this year, how they invested in Becky Hammond, that they're building their own dedicated practice facility for the Las Vegas Aces. You know, the way Joe Psy tried to push the travel issue forward by illegally chartering flights at the end of the 2021 season. I do think that it's a good thing for people to push the boundaries forward and say, hey, we should be spending as much money as possible on these women. Let's just do it and force the rest of the league to catch up. But I also wonder if the WNBA isn't more sentimentally attached to the Force 10 ownership group, you know, the Elena Beard ownership group, where it's women who they're familiar with who just love women's sports and want to treat this not, I mean, it is business, obviously, but they aren't super invested in the capitalism side of it, as my friend Lindsay Gibbs of the Burn It All Down podcast would say. Uh, other than the Bay Area, I do believe that Nashville, Portland, Philly, Toronto are high up on that list. Uh, Toronto's a choice that keeps coming up, but I just don't see it happening until the WNBA has fully chartered flights because making that international trip is just untenable. Next question. Um, Although ESPN and ABC have aired the league under near exclusivity since 2003, when will CBS, Amazon get more games? So ESPN, the TV contract is up in 2025. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that the WNBA is severely underpaid on this one. They get about $25 million per year from ESPN. We can consider that. Apple TV just bought MLS rights for 10 years for $2.5 billion. That means they get $250 million per year, even though they average just about the same national TV numbers as the WNBA, 10 times the amount of money. Um, clearly, the WNBA has to do better. <laughs> and I don't know if they're aiming for $2.5 billion over 10 years, but they should. Uh, 
ESPN, ABC, especially ABC, always do the best numbers for the WNBA. I, I think that there is a natural inclination to want to continue to partner with them, especially because ESPN retains the rights to the Women's National College Basketball Tournament. Um, Amazon has been a weird partner for the WNBA. It doesn't appear that Amazon gets any ad revenue off of live sports. They just air ads for Prime, which I feel like people who watched Thursday Night Football just noticed. Um, so I don't know how long that relationship is going to last. I do think that there is a there's a real emotional attachment to these linear networks, the ESPN and ABCs of the world, and I just hope that they're willing to pay up, maybe not in the Apple TV level, but something closer to what MLS is getting. Because again, same viewership numbers, 10 times amount of money. It doesn't make any sense. All right, we have a series of a lot of Sparks questions, and I realize that the Sparks are not top of mind for most WNBA fans, but I am based in Los Angeles. It is the team that I follow the most closely, so I'm going to try to take these as quickly as possible. Uh, who are the big name free agents, and how do the Sparks get Candace Parker back? So, you know, incidentally, Candace Parker is one of the big name free agents in the league alongside Stewie, Tina Charles, Neko Kumake, Dana Tarazi, Tip Hayes, Courtney Vandersloot, Emma Mieseman, Bree Jones. Um, honestly, Candace Parker could come back to Los Angeles now that Derek Fisher isn't around and legitimately dictate everything in this organization. She could choose a general manager. She could choose a head coach. She could recruit players from around the league who she wanted to play with. I know she still has a house in Los Angeles, so moving here is not exactly like uprooting her family by any means. She's already proven that she can win separately outside of Los Angeles. Chicago is could be blowing up. You know, 80% of their starting lineup is free agent, along with Azrae Stevens. So that's the pitch to Candace Parker. Right? Like, you're a Los Angeles legend. Your jersey is going up here when you retire. Don't you want to just have one last go around, put us you know, back in the position of being that glory, glamour franchise that we were when you came to us? Why not? Uh, another question, who should the Sparks hire for head coach and why is it Natalie Nakase? <laughs> um, I mean, you have to interview her, right? She's local, Huntington Beach, UCLA, coach for the Clippers. She, you know, was just an assistant on Becky Hammond's staff. And again, like I mentioned, was interviewing for head coaching jobs this past offseason. She clearly has the talent, you know, if you want a local face, but like somebody who's a little bit different than that former Laker player template that the Sparks seem to follow. I think Natalie would be an absolutely great head coach in Los Angeles, and I know that that's something that she wants as the next step in her career. I think Latricia Trammell has to be on the interview list. You know, she's been a really good defensive assistant in Los Angeles for the last four years. Uh, she's been interviewed for head coaching jobs before, hasn't gotten the lead job. I was a little surprised that she wasn't tabbed as the interim head coach this year. But again, I, I think it was just because the Sparks were trying to keep Fred Williams in as long as possible for some measure of continuity. Otherwise, he would have gone off to Auburn early. Uh, Christy Tolliver, I think, should be on that list. Um, she kind of delayed any retirement talk at her exit interview this year, but you know she didn't play the last few weeks of the season. She's been very in and out over the last two years with her health. I would imagine she feels solidly about LA considering she came back to the Sparks when Derek Fisher was head coach like of her own volition as a free agent. Um, this is a head coaching job that she could get before any NBA head coaching job. You know, she spent two years with the Wizards, a year with the Mavericks. She's on the Mavericks staff again this year under Jason Kidd. You know, this could be her opportunity to run her own team that I think would come a lot quicker than on the men's side. And 
you know, if the Sparks want to make that splash, this is former WNBA champion in Los Angeles, Christy Tolliver. I think it'd be pretty cool. And as long as she's working for the Mavericks, the prioritization clause is going to hurt her. She will not be able to report on time for training camp if the Mavericks have any reasonable playoff run in the NBA playoffs. So maybe, you know, just get a new job and build the Sparks back up from the ground up. Uh, one more Sparks question. Can the Sparks become contenders again? <laughs> uh, I want to say that turning things around is, you know, a little bit easier in the WNBA than other leagues, but it does rely on having that number one pick. You know, Asia Wilson turns things around. Maya Moore turns things around. Uh, the Sparks, alas, traded their lottery pick for the second consecutive season, so they do not have the opportunity to draft Aaliyah Boston. Uh, maybe they suffer through missing the playoffs for one more season, keep their lottery pick, and then you're looking at a chance to draft Paige Beckers or Caitlin Clark in 2024, and that's your ticket back to contention. But there's just so many things up in the air for the Sparks. you got to nail the general manager higher. Unfortunately, I don't really know who's in the pool of general managers because this is a very... Sh- small league and there's just not a lot of names that I can think of but ideally someone with GM experience would be nice Um, then you let that GM hire their own coach can't go out of order Um, you know we've seen a nice little turnaround in Atlanta with Dan Padover coming in cleaning house hiring Tanisha Wright now they have Ryan Howard again a number one pick and it seems like they're on a, a quick path towards becoming a really good team again that's sort of the model the Sparks need to follow right find a general manager from around the league pay them a little bit more money to come to LA, give them just complete control over what they want to do. Ideally hire a former player as a head coach, because that seems to be going very well. And you build up from there. I mean, the Sparks are owned by the same ownership group as the Los Angeles Dodgers. The money should be available. And then keep NECA. You absolutely have to keep NECA Gumake. She is the only player left from that 2016 team. And She is the one who wanted to stay. She is the face of Los Angeles Sparks basketball. She is the president of the Players Association. She represents all that is right about the WNBA. She is just an incredible role model full of grace and talent and just a wonderful player on the court, too. She has to lead you into the next generation. And whatever you have to do to keep Neko around, I think you have to do it. And then keep investing in the little things. You know, a nice practice facility would be nice. Instead of the Sparks having to jump around from playing at a small gym in Torrance to occasionally practicing at USC, I mean, they even started the season practicing at the UCLA Health Training Center, which is where the Lakers practice. I thought it was fairly interesting that the day that they announced their partnership with UCLA Health for the season, they actually weren't even in that building. They'd been kicked out and they were doing their media day in Torrance at the Jump Beyond Sports Center. Uh, just, Just pick one place, make things easier on your players, make it a good place to practice continue to treat them as best as you can as professional athletes. Last question uh, from Peter. The key stretch of the Aces Sun game four was when the Aces went small with Raquana Williams for Stokes and the Sun went big. WNBA has not leaned into wings to the degree that the NBA has, but the Aces thrived in both the semifinals and that stretch in the finals by surrounding Asia with guards and size on the wings in Jackie Young and to agree to a degree Chelsea Gray. Do you think this will impact future team building? Great question. I love thinking about the stylistic future of the WNBA. And, you know, because we've seen the men's game evolve in this way towards a very wing-heavy league, 
I don't think it's unreasonable to expect women's basketball to follow in a certain way because, I mean, these kids all play together, right? They all watch um, the NBA and the WNBA and they model their favorite players and a lot of their favorite men's players are going to be wings. So I think it's quite likely that wings are coming, you know, to the WNBA in a bigger way. I mean, this past year, Ryan Howard was the number one pick. Uh, Jackie Young was the number one pick in 2019. It's it's coming. Even though we had a team in Chicago with two bigs win last year, I think you're seeing uh, an evolution in that position towards bigs who can space and play make and facilitate in addition to doing all of the traditional big front court things like protecting the paint and scoring inside. Candace Parker can play everywhere on the court. Uh, you look at Washington and they had Elena Deladon and she's obviously capable of scoring from anywhere on the court. And she plays next to Shakira Austin, who can defend anywhere on the court. Vegas is a little different because they have Asia Wilson, who can toggle between the four and the five, and that allows you to play her next to other small players. But I think that, you know, the next stage in that trend isn't necessarily going to be one big surrounded by four smalls. It's just going to be two skilled bigs who can function kind of like perimeter players. And part of that is because the really big centers are just on their way out. You know, Sylvia Fowles retired. Elizabeth Cambage is going to be gone from the WNBA for the foreseeable future. Unfortunately, we don't really know what the future holds for Brittany Griner. Uh, John Quill Jones is basically a big wing. You know, the bigs that are coming into the league are, are a lot more versatile, like Shakira Austin and Alyssa Smith. Um, Tierra McCowan is kind of like the last of her kind. So I do think the teams want to play two versatile bigs together. Like Vegas would have played Hamby had she been healthy. Emma Mieseman and Candace Parker, two bigs who can do everything on a basketball court. So I, I think the two bigs are going to stick for a little while. But, you know, all it takes is one. The more success that the Aces have, the more that they win, teams are going to copy them. It's a copycat league. People are paying attention to what Becky Hammond is doing, what the Aces are doing. And if they just keep winning, then other teams are absolutely going to follow their model. Thank you for all of the questions today. It was a lot of fun to answer them instead of having to prepare questions to ask my guest like I do every week. It has been a delight sharing the WNBA season with you here on the Whip Around, and I'll be off for at least the next two weeks because I'm going to be on vacation. Still haven't figured out how this show is going to proceed during the college basketball season, but stay tuned for any updates on SwishAppeal.com. 